This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to another very special episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson, and our super producer, Riley Bray. And Woo. guys, guess what? This is a big episode. Fucking milestone. This is a Bigfoot Collectors Club 100. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and before we bring in our guest, I'm going to explain the numbering. Because we've definitely had more than 100 episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I was like, it little, just comes after 99, bro. It's it, pretty easy. That's how that works. Well, it's a little confusing. Uh, when we first started Bigfoot Collectors Club, I wanted to model the numbering of the series after the numbering of comic books, because I'm a comic book collector. So we started with issue zero, which sometimes they do in comics. And then uh, occasionally we would do like our, our summer annual, which is our 4th of July episode. So those aren't numbered. And early on, before our Patreon, we were doing bonus episodes. So this is like like our regular our regular numbered episode number 100 even though it's not technically our 100th episode mm, it's close enough it's close enough baby but uh we have an amazing guest today uh he really needs no introduction he's an actor writer comedian director uh he's been in a million things he co-hosts the movie podcast how did this get made and unspooled and we couldn't be more happy that he's celebrating our 100th episode of bcc boys and girls please give a warm club scout salute to Mr. Paul Shear. Yeah. Very excited hey. to be here. Thank oh, you so my. much. Oh, Episode 100. Yeah. I, you know, I feel, I felt honored. Uh. Now I feel more confused because of all the, <laughs> the caveats behind it. But I'm, right. I'm still going to take it in stride. Yeah. That, well, the 100 means something. Riley and I had a conversation a few months ago. He's like, what's up with the numbering? Yeah. And I was like, uh, trust me. Yeah. We're not known for our attention to detail. <laughs> By the way, I like that. I mean, and you know, I feel like. Whatever is a celebratory episode, you make it yourself because I have no idea what episode number I'm listening to most of the time. So this is a celebration for right. most years. Yeah, come it on. Is. Absolutely. Now, how many podcasts have you made between oh, your two? Oh my gosh. I can't honestly tell you. I can't. I just don't know. Like I thought the other day, I think with How Did This Get Made, we have about 200 and Holy change at like 50 or Whoa. 60. And then we have many episodes. So we have about 200 of those. So that's about. Like 500 How Did This wow. Get Maids, and then we're coming close to 100 episodes of Unspooled. Wow, and, and then you're done? Um, Unspooled <laughs> will be interesting. We'll see how we're going to continue it. I don't think it's done. 
Okay, cool. I don't think, I mean, because they're doing it the be done. Hot top 100 AFI. Oh, right. Movies. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, I realized early on, I was like, I looked at an AFI list and I was like, wow, I've seen about like maybe 40 or 50 of them, or some of them I've seen, but I don't remember. Like, I saw Taxi Driver, but I haven't really rewatched it since high school when I thought right. that was cool to watch. So, rewatching all these movies and then watching these movies for the first time and being, Oh, I've never like really sat back and watched a Charlie Chaplin movie, you know, and they're great. It's awesome. So it's been really kind of fun to explore that. And also to like balance out the terribleness of how did this get made where we're watching like the worst craziest movies, but uh, so many great ones and so many ones that deal with paranormal. I mean, that's a very, a very big thing in the bad movie genre like oh, yeah. there are aliens i mean most notably mac and me the oh, et yeah. the et ripoff which <laughs> just uh if you looked online in the last week there's a japanese version of it where uh where the kid in the wheelchair because mac mac's friend like elliot from et uh is in a wheelchair but not, not elliot's on a wheelchair but yeah. he has a friend same kind of idea but he's in a wheelchair and he gets shot by police officers in the <laughs> japanese version he's wow. shot by police officers so uh the japanese it, version makes the uh concludes the rule that spielberg set up in et <laughs> which if you see a gun you, it yeah. has to go off and shoot a kid. but oddly in the japanese version the cops are shooting walkie-talkies so oh, right. yeah, it is, <laughs> the walkie-talkie shoot bullets uh but um no, yeah, so Paranormal comes up a lot, and we were talking about Unspooled, where Paranormal doesn't come up that much. The only Paranormal, uh, you know, horror, horror film or something that deals with that kind of an idea is Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. And 2001, which I would love to talk about later, but that oh, yeah. I think is like one of my favorite. Uh, I'm surprised you know. that, that. Uh, that like Rosemary's Baby's not on there, not or, on there. And, and The Shining's not on there either? No. Surprising. That's right? fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, that's a it's it's a bizarre list that kind of ignores horror. And I think that sometimes paranormal and horror get lumped together yeah. as like this other, this other genre that we can't really fully respect. Got yeah. it. You know, I mean I I mean those are the things that I grew up, you know, loving. I mean, that's my like I love that stuff. What was your favorite movie as a kid? You know, I was thinking about that. It's weird because you know, as a kid, you want to live the life of the kids in the movie. So I think E.T. was a big one for me. Uh, but I love this movie called The Explorers. Do you remember oh, yeah. The Explorers? Oh, yeah, yeah. With the you tilt know, of the, the, the old yeah, carnival game. Like a Gravitron. Ride. Like That's they're it. in. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was like they made their own spaceship and went to space. And Flight of the Navigator was amazing. Classic. Uh, yeah. Yes. Classic. These, you know, aliens and kid movies were very, very big. We watched Flight of the Navigator for our Patreon. We do a, a movie yeah. club where we watch. Does it hold like, up? It holds up pretty All well. All except for Pee Wee Herman's voice. Oh, is, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was like, yeah I'll go here. <laughs> that yeah, stuff yeah. is super dated. Right. But there's like an element of that film that is really well done. Like the whole setup is great. Yeah. And the missing time stuff, like when he wakes up in the ditch and it's like 20 years later yeah, or 10 totally. years later, that stuff is really creepy. The uh, spaceship still holds up too. Yeah, yeah. Bryce's uh, son was watching it with us and he got freaked out. I yeah, was like, oh, this is kind of spooky. Like, when you go to your house as a kid and there's like an old lady living there that you yeah. don't recognize, like that, I remember being really kind of freak, freaked me out when I was little. Well, I watched E.T. with my kids and it was interesting to watch them kind of transition from animated films into live action. And yeah. that was really the one that held their attention. They were like, I'm in. Yeah. And, and it was so crazy to see that film because it gets so dark, like E.T., 
dies. Yeah, I like cried not, on that yeah. Film. Oh gosh, not only does he die, but he is like literally in an emergency room, going ashen gray. They they give up like heart monitors, everything. The kids yelling like E.T. no, E.T. no, <laughs> and I'm like watching this my five and three year old. And they were very much there for it. Like, you know, and they were like, well, what happened? And we just had to kind of like, you know, not kind of lay it. Like, we didn't go like he's dead because we know he's coming back. So we didn't want to, you know, we just kind of said he's sleeping, he's cold, he's sick. You know, we kind of use those things. There's something called a Christ myth. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're about to see a modern telling of the Christ resurrection. <laughs> so that was like, but it's funny how these ideas like still universally connect kids i mean like, I'm, I'm happy to hear your kids kind of responded to that flight of the navigator because i think there is something kind of weirdly special about it and weirdly dark about the movies that we grew up with that are no longer in kids films no it's that true. is white all they're watching away. today is like pixar and these animated adventures and while some of them are good actually i saw a preview for something called soul that pixar was releasing oh interesting and i was like okay finally we're getting somewhere with some of this stuff but i was like for the most part it's not that great i well, feel Yo, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I feel like that, that the thing with Disney Plus right now is people are rediscovering like scary movies from our childhood. Like, Return, yeah. everyone's like, oh, Return to Oz. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that was a fucked up movie. Yeah. And there's like the Escape from Witch Mountain and stuff like that. There's that a lot scared of me. weird, weird movies, right? And I think because you had these adults trying to understand what kids like, but they didn't really know. There was no market testing for it in a way. Like, the black hole is a dark weird movie that i think ultimately is better than people give it uh credit for i think that they kind of morphed it into trying to be star wars at a certain point they're like yeah. oh, that's what people want we'll make it star wars but it was darker than star wars it was almost more akin to 2001 than it was star wars right uh, and i just feel like we don't have that i mean the biggest thing that you have in in pixar and disney and i, and I love all those movies but it's like so a parent dies, right. a parent dies, a loved one dies, and then the journey begins. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you're kind of jettisoned into it. But it doesn't go, it's not in the third act. I feel like these movies all in the third act, you're like, or like you're like, whoa, like, you know, it's like it's all at the beginning. Like, uh, but yeah, I'm, 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 I miss out on that stuff. And I hope that my kids continue to like weird, you know, movies from my time too. Well, you know, every, and, and, every and, Friday night I make sure that uh, you know we have like a habit of getting Chipotle and bringing it home and watching a movie yeah, we but, do a movie night too yeah but I always make sure that we go back to something I liked as a kid so yeah. it's nothing in new releases so it's always like you know either Three Amigos or you know, Flight of the Navigator something old school you know I want them to have a good knowledge of that well I also think it's a different style of storytelling like we watched Star Wars for the first time my five year old and I and it was really fun to watch it with him and i'm not gonna make him watch the other ones yet i'm like we'll get we'll get there we'll yeah get into he's got it. the rest of his life to exactly. unpack the prequels exactly <laughs> well I'm, I'm kind of curious about this machete order like this is the order that they say you're supposed to show star wars yeah mm. which is rogue one new hope empire strikes back and then you go uh attack of the clones revenge of the sith return of the jedi force awakens and then last skipping phantom menace you skip phantom menace and you drop those prequels in the center and the the reason being that you're you're watching it uh you know it's like luke i am your father bo we're we're gutted 
Then we basically watch the story of Anakin. Yeah. Right. So then you create a redemption arc. So it pays off really well in Return of the Jedi yep. for the viewer. And then and then you're off to the races. <laughs> I was in that's a relationship wild. a number of years ago. It's been a while. And uh, but that's how she had never seen Star oh, really? Wars. So I was like, let's try it this way. Yeah. But I did Phantom Menace, did which Phantom. surprisingly she really enjoyed. And yeah. then uh, but this was before Rogue One and Han Solo. So right, right. I, I, I've been trying to figure out how you would incorporate those. Part of me thinks do just do one two and three yeah or or, sorry four five and six then go do the prequels and then solo and then rogue one and then you complete a circle yeah i think there's something about that then do the new the new sequels i don't know you know i'm uh i we'll see how it goes i mean i get to really program a kid's mind because part of me feels like maybe i would go and and do power yeah maybe i do force awakens and then drop solo in because then you see like oh that's we see the end of Han Solo, but then you get to see how yep. he kind of lives on. I don't know. I, I don't know. These are the difficult decisions parents have to make. I know. This is it. This is where it all comes down. I was just thinking about the modern version of E.T. when you are talking about the third act. You know, everything happens in the third act. Now it would be E.T. dies at the beginning of the movie, doesn't come back to life, <laughs> and then you're just watching a sad kid cope with the loss of his alien friend for the yeah. rest of the yeah, film. Even uh, after he's dealing with his dad going off to Mexico with that woman. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, why? Why would he leave D. Wallace? She's a solid lady, a solid lady, <laughs> raising those kids all by herself. Three kids uh, just goes off to Mexico. What a what a jerk! Dick. Uh, well, you know, Peter Coyote comes in. And, yeah, Peter Coyote is pretty cool. Yeah, he's yeah. a cool guy. <laughs> with the keys. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk to Paul Shear about his personal paranormal history. All right, we're back, and Paul, we ask all of our guests. Yes. What is your personal paranormal history? Well, first, let me start off by saying that I love the paranormal. And I, mm. uh, you know, talking about movies that we grew up with, I think my favorite movie, and I'm realizing this now after we've been talking, was Ghostbusters. Made a huge, huge impact on me. The idea of ghosts, wanting to understand ghosts more, it's trying to set up ghost traps, all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, so, We'll circle back to that. Yeah. <laughs> but Ghostbusters was a huge kind of uh, eye-opening moment because it came at a time when I was alive as a child that like that was my first foray into like ghosts and scary ghosts. Yeah. So um, I was obsessed and uh, so much so that I would love, I love hearing a ghost story. And there are people that can tell me a ghost story and I can't remember the details as good because I'm so uh, caught up and listening to their go. I am in, I am fully in. And there's been, so I'm a collector of good ghost stories. I love a good ghost story. And um, so much so that my good friend, Rob Hubel, um, for his bachelor party, we rented an old house in Ojai and I hired paranormal investigators what? to come. So that was our, that was our, like our event, you know, some people do whatever they want to do. We hired a team of paranormal investigators yeah. um, so that cool. we went around the house and we, we ghost hunted in the house and we tried to feel things. We learned things from them. How did you find the house or why um, did you pick this one? So I will say it like this. I wish I was smarter and would have tried to find a haunted house. Although that's not <laughs> just pretty clean. Yes. Yeah. Not it's not necessarily something that people lead with on VRBO and right. our house is haunted. I believe actually I was doing some research for 
gosh, oh, we just did Spirit of Christmas on How Did This Get Made, which is a movie about a B&B that's haunted. And we were joking around about the logistics of that, but apparently in Boston, there is a law that you don't need to announce whether your house is haunted oh. before you sell it. Uh, because clearly someone <laughs> bought a house and was like, it was haunted, I want my money back, and the court upheld that that is not something that you need to do, uh, which I think is amazing that that law is in the books uh, in Massachusetts. That law is in the books. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's no way to find out. We just picked an older house, and then we found this team, and they, uh, there's a mother and a son and a friend. And they brought out their tools and we went around and uh, we all got CDs uh, a couple weeks later of, of the recordings, the ghost recordings. But my personal uh, like moment with uh, the paranormal, uh, I talked about this a little bit on how did this get made. Uh, I remember I listened yeah. to the show and I was very excited when I heard this also Sort of jealous that we didn't get the scoop oh. right away, but apparently you've been getting questions about. I've been this? getting questions about the story nonstop. I wish it was more detailed. I will put people to this podcast so I can tell it the whole way, but uh, it's not it's not incredibly detailed. I think that's the reason why I enjoy it so much. Um, I was a little kid, and you know, I think I was really into camping out. I had a, I made a tent over my bed. So I felt like I was always camping out. I was always camping out in the backyard. And yeah, when I couldn't camp awesome. out in the backyard, I'd camp out in the living room. And if I couldn't camp out in the living room. Yeah, ghost always, traps to keep an eye on. And look, I had house. to do it. I mean, look, I definitely, I mean, look, I was grew up in a time where a movie like Ghostbusters could be like the number one movie for like 15 weeks. <laughs> right. And there were no toys, no merchandise. Like the most you get is like a novelization of Ghostbusters. Maybe a, like a book with no some toys until the cartoon I which know, was like yeah. a weird version of it i know i mean i remember i held on to my ghostbusters stuff and there was like a like a really crappy star wars book that was like yoda trains you to be a jedi and at Ooh. the end you could give yourself your own certificate and i never filled out that certificate because <laughs> i didn't feel like i achieved <laughs> you know I, I was like i couldn't move that thing from I across the room. Yeah. <laughs> so uh but i the, can't make rocks float yeah i know so i tried every day i would, I would read the book and try to do it oh um, just staring at that unfilled <laughs> oh, certificate i just like, like one day i will make it i just kept it there but there i had something similar with that to ghostbusters but i wasn't trying I wasn't I wasn't trying to capture ghosts this night. I wasn't having ghosts on the mind. I don't know uh if this is before or after I see Ghostbusters, but it's not it's not all this to say is it's not directly correlated to Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um so uh I will say that um I'm also in a family at this point and I'm trying to flesh it out as much as I can that um is a big believer in uh, we become born again Christians. That was my next question: Is what was the house? What was your family like? Yes. What was their belief system growing up? There was an element of being. Um, so my my mom married this guy, and this guy was um, from a family that was very heavy into being a born again Christian. We would watch PTL, which is like the Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, you know, kind of religious oh, wow. televangelism kind of shows. And we would go to church on Friday night sometimes for like seemingly hours. My parents like replaced my weird Al albums with, you know, uh, with like, you know, just took them away because she thought they were demonic because mm -hmm. there was a song called Nature Trail of Hell on a weird Al album. And I couldn't listen to In Excess because there's a song about suicide on there. So we're very religious. I got Christian action figures. 
Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, so I had like, you know, I had like Moses with the two tablets. And David I, and Goliath, I, obviously. Well, like it was much more like um, like Moses and Peter and Paul oh, and Jesus. It was wow. like the not the that, fun stories. Not like, the yeah. ones that actually <laughs> fight each other. No, 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 no. I mean, but I would put Moses in a Batmobile, no problem. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and it as much as I was kind of experiencing this born again life, it wasn't something that like I kind of uh, took in hook, line, and sinker. You know, it was sort of like, oh yeah, I go to this thing. My parents were divorced, so I would spend a lot of time with my dad, and I think my dad kind of balanced that out. Uh, but like my like my mom was talking in tongues, and there was baptisms. Oh, wow. Where did you grow like up? Oh, Long Island. Okay. So uh, you know, there was like you know going into the tanks and being baptized and all that sort of stuff. Wow. And so there are occasionally these stories about how like. They felt, you know, the presence of God. And like this one story I heard um, as a kid, it was like, and this is, you know, it it has to be true because it sticks out at you. Like, I feel like as I get older, the stories that stick out to me are the ones that didn't really make sense as a kid. And they go back and go, what happened there? It's like, oh, he was in a car accident and died. Oh, right, right, right. right. He didn't just disappear. Yeah, because it's like, you know, it's like, it's sort of like you hear these stories and you're like, it's told to you in a kid way. Then they forget to ever like, remedy that like right. you know update you yeah. later be like oh by the way you're 13 now you can know about your yeah like when i first like went to the doctor my doctor was like what about this and that you know as an adult you know and uh and and i was like i think this and i think that and my doctor was like that seems suspect and then i, I talked to my mom I was like no no you, you're a grandfather with lung cancer and this is this and i was like oh right these are things they did not know so anyway uh the story i remember hearing that stuck out to me that makes no sense really but uh was that my aunt uh my step aunt uh, was really inconsolable because she was dealing with some sort of a, men- a tremendous grief. And then the couch rose as if the Lord sat on the other side and the kind of, which now is a crazy fat Lord. Yeah. Fat Lord kind of like wow. almost fairly brothers style. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like knocks her up. And then she felt so warm in the presence of God that she was surrounded. But again, it's a crazy story because like, all right, so the couch lifted up in the air. You're at one end. It's visually, it makes no sense. It's like <laughs> you know, and it's like, and what, and what safety do you get from that? That doesn't seem like anything. But uh, so I always remembered that. I remembered you know this idea of that that uh, poem footprints. And as a child, I thought that was maybe based on something true, uh, not not just a <laughs> metaphor for something like this. Is the problem with yeah. evangelicalism <laughs> yeah. and born again Christianity? Yes, you can kind of get wrapped up in this. So. Anyway, that that's kind of what my house is like at this point. Uh, my mom, not overly like this, and my stepfather, not overly like this. We're kind of like, we're like uh, born again adjacent. We're doing the things, but it's not like our house doesn't have pictures of it's you would walk into our house and you would maybe not be able to to suss that out there's still room for elvis yes exactly plenty of elvis posters uh, up on the wall (laughs) velvet elvises um so that's that's kind of the house that i'm growing up in my dad different um you know uh doesn't really play into how different but just no i would say baseline normal Mm. uh and then um so one night i'm camping out in the hallway and and I had done this many times. I camped out in the back. I camped out around all over my house. I felt this uh, this um, something that made me wake up. And when I woke up, at uh, so think of me as my head, you know, I'm on my back, feet forward. From my feet 
this body above me, looking over me, a white, blue woman. Uh, not she's on blue skin, but in like a blue uh, kind of an outfit or glowing blue, um, was above me, very peaceful, looking down on me, not scary, not anything, not standing, but floating, like floating. Like, I always think of it as like horizontally. If she could stand on my toes, if I was laying on my back and she could stand on my toes, gotcha. That's the that's kind of the uh, the what I'm saying. She's above, but she's not like um, parallel. Yeah. And so I just had this moment where I just kind of stared at her and she stared at me and I was awake. I was definitely awake. It wasn't scary. Um, and this is where I'm a little fuzzy, but I feel like I might have called out for my parents. Um, and when I, you know, in the minute I kind of called out, she just, just wow. disappeared. And so now, uh, years later, I, I, uh, it's always been something that stuck with me again, like as a kid, like it's an image that I've had many a nightmare. I've had scary moments. I've had all these moments in my life that are whatever bizarre, but none of this like sticks out to me as a crazy thing. I can see it to this day. And, uh, and part of that paranormal thing that I did with Rob for his thing, uh, for his bachelor party, we were talking to these people and, they were saying, and and you may through the hundred episodes, hundred episodes plus of the show, you may have seen it differently, <laughs> but uh, that they said that you know, it's not that you go to a haunted house and you're experiencing the ghosts that live in the house. They believe that there are spirits that are attached to you. They, they are protecting you. you. Yeah. Exactly. So no matter what house I'm in that person will be there with me. It's not like you go to the house and you find that thing. Now, there's many different stories and people believe different things because, oh, well, I go to this house and there's a trapped girl and blah, blah, blah. Uh, But there is something about it that those two things lined up to me because it felt like very much a protecting energy or element. I don't have anybody in my life that I could draw that person to, but but that is the image. So it's, again, like I said, stuck out to me and... One time I was talking to this guy on set uh, who would just talk to me about how he was kind of steeped in the paranormal, all of his kind of, uh, you know, experiences in the paranormal. And he and said, this is an actor? Or? This is a, uh, a a grip. Okay. A, you know, and he says, uh, he goes, I am, uh, you know, I'm actually an empath. Mm. Oh, well, what does that mean? He's like, you know, I can kind of see what people are feeling. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And And I said, you know, I've had this interesting experience. Now, when I had this experience... I'm like six, seven, five, you know, I'm in that, I'm in that below eight range. Right. Uh, and he, and he goes, I know what you saw and describes this woman to whoa. me perfectly. And wow. I go, whoa. And he goes, you carry that woman with you. And it was a very interesting moment. I've not seen that woman again. I've never experienced that. I've not experienced anything that could be remotely paranormal, but, when he said that, described her, because I don't, I've never really talked about it. And I certainly didn't talk about it to this guy. Like it was, you know, uh, and he described the entire scenario to me. So that was strange validation. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. What was your reaction when that happened? It was kind of jaw dropping. Yeah. And you know what? I think immediately, like I've run this live, I, I love running these two parallel things, which is like, I think I'm very, uh, critical or hyper aware of, 
you know, what's a scam? What's taking me for, you know, like what's, who's trying to trick me? But then I watch a magic show and I'm like, that person is a warlock. I don't <laughs> understand it. Like, and I understand it's magic. I have no, I have no desire to figure it out. Like I watch Darren Brown. I'm like, this guy is amazing. I watch, you know, uh, you know, hell, like the card magicians, I, I, magicians I'm all in on. Like I just, I want to be entertained. I want to be that, but I, so I am ultimately critical, but there are moments where I lack that things I want to believe. But that moment there, like, I was like, I can't poke holes in this. Like there's nothing to poke holes in. Cause he's not saying he doesn't want anything from me. He, uh, is, we're having a normal conversation with somebody that I've hung out with on set now for, you know, a couple weeks and we have a nice rapport. So it wasn't like anything bizarre. And he was just able to like, look at me, see it and pinpoint it. And it was a crazy thing. So either I believe he's an empath and sees exactly what I saw, which is an amazing thing you know i'm i'm all in on that there has to be something there or or he is seeing this presence around me so i don't know that's strange could he see it in the present moment could he see her the way he like that, she's standing over the your way shoulder that, the way that he described it was you carry this person with you and that's and i like it wasn't like and she's behind you right now it wasn't like that <laughs> yeah, right. but it was sort of like the idea like she is still there because he sees her. It's and, so wild because it's more of a clairvoyance than like a, an empath. Yeah. That's language of, a, of an empath is I, I, I feel you carry it with you now. But then to be able to describe it visually is, is more of a psychical or sort of a clairvoyance type. Yeah. Of, it, it's, it's strange. And that was really kind of, uh, yeah, it just kind of blew me away. And so that that is my one link to the supernatural it's not a feeling it's not a it's really just this one moment and then to have it validated literally like three years ago yeah that know, is so wild yeah so that's that's that my, would blow my mind it yeah. really does like it it is a bizarre thing and i and, and immediately when i said it on how did this get made a lot of people wanted to come at me and tell me hey you were had sleep paralysis you had the this you had a you know this and 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 be it all as it may, I don't need to debunk it. There's, right. not, I'm not living my life by it. I, no one asked me to do anything. I like, like, but like, that's where I kind of am. Like, I'm here to be like, that was my experience. Here's my other experience that ties to that. I'm very happy with. What that. is like, your, <clears throat> what does your gut tell you? Because we, we, we've heard. Listen, we've heard a lot of stories. Yeah, we've had imagine. people come on here and say very similar have similar things happen to them we've all had weird shit happen to us that we can't explain and the thing that rings very true to me about the story i mean all of it i I believe you 100 percent, obviously is that uh i like when you said my mind was the furthest thing from right from this because that happens in bryce riley maybe you agree or disagree but to me that's when these sort of things tend to happen right when it's the last thing you're thinking about you know and oftentimes we hear stories where ghost hunters are going out or people are trying to have a paranormal experience it almost ignores them it's like you want it right. too bad you know what yeah, i mean yeah yeah, yeah well I think, sure. I think that do you think that there's something about being at a peace it's sort of like here's what i'm obsessed about there i've had a couple of really interesting experiences and I would say that in New Orleans, the most haunted experiences that I've had, Whoa. Uh, because they were happening to all of uh, all of my friends. Um, and there's something. I, there's two things at play here. Uh, I'll tell you one story about there, which is a great one. But uh, but like I feel like there's a the, the, there's an idea 
that when you're a kid, you see these things more prevalently because you're just open to it. Like we are, exactly like I said, right. you know, yeah. as yep. an adult, like you start closing yourself off. You're like, well, I don't believe that I'm, I can, that was this, that was a, that, that was a thing. And as kids, you are just more in touch with just seeing things. So the story that I'll tell you that is not mine, but um, it's a still good one. And I heard it the next morning, which is a great one, which was, um, my friends were staying in uh, the square, like that central square in New Orleans. I forget what it was called, but um, they were renting one of the old, one of the oldest buildings in New Orleans. And there were on a penthouse floor, you know, so four floors up or whatever. And um, they're a little kid. And the little kid is about five, six. And um, he runs into the room. He's like, hi, Dada. Runs in the next room, sees his mom. Hi, Mama. Runs in the next room. Hi, Timothy. Hi, Dada. Hi, Mama. Hi, Timothy. And they're like, "What?" And and they they start talking to him. And they go, "What what's going on?" I said, oh, there's Timothy. And they're, like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "He's right there." And the kids describing him. And then you think like that, like it was. And he described the way that he looked. He's like, "Oh, he's wearing this and that and this." And then the creepiest thing was, they're out the next day. This is after they've had this experience. Now again, it could be a kid having an imaginary friend. All this is fine. But this is creepy as shit. They're having lunch. And he looks over and he goes, what's that? And they're like, what, what's going no, on? No. <laughs> and he looks in the sewer grate. And he's like, there's people in the sewer. They're talking to me. Oh, and like, yeah, and, and uh-huh. so <laughs> he was talking and looking into the sewer grate to these people that were in the sewer grate. Now, you know, if you know anything about New Orleans, like, a lot of these coffins and bodies were, you know, uh, full cemeteries were like, you know, came to the, you know, coffins came to the ground and because of the floodings, Uh uh, you know, and then the past and there's so much weird shit in that town. But the fact that like, and he came home, never had any more of these moments, never had any of these people, nothing, nothing, nothing. And, uh, and also one of the things that he said when they were talking about Timothy was, um, he had Velcro shoes and he said, I want to get Timothy Velcro shoes because he's having a hard time tying his, his shoes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he's like, the laces, like he can't get the laces. In. And I was like, that is so specific. <laughs> I know it's so specific and it's such a bizarre thing. So all that being said um, that, you know, I, I don't know. There's something about creepy Kids, little timothy they, with velcro shoes. yeah get it get that get that old uh 18th century boy some velcro <laughs> um but i do believe that you, you when you're open you're most open to it and your guard is down the most right mm-hmm. like i yeah. feel like that's when you're going to be interacting with that space do you witness anything like that either of you and you obviously don't have to get too personal yeah. about your own kids but do you do you guys witness any weird stuff like that with your children like have you ever been like oh they're paying attention to something that i can't see or sense mm, for me n- no but uh I, I think my son is very sensitive and he is uber afraid of the of the dark there's there's like something mm. very primal and visceral to where he can like the the hallway will be lit up and he'll be like crawling along the wall Ooh. side of it like like avoiding the dark like it's a real thing so i think he's sensitive to some of that stuff yeah right now my kids um aren't like they're into nightmares like i had a nightmare well what's a nightmare they want to 
tell me my my youngest my oldest is actually very much into death um and asking questions about death and who dies and why do you die and how old do you have to be to die and you know um Oof, you know it's God. a lot yeah there are that's, harder questions do you need velcro oh, shoes yeah, to yeah, die yeah. oh let's <laughs> yeah. let's watch empire strikes yeah, back <laughs> yeah so those are tricky questions um but uh yeah, no, I haven't noticed them like having an invisible friend or, you know, I do believe that there's a sense of it. I do believe like invisible friends can be rooted in a paranormal background. Yeah. I mean, there. Yeah. I think there's some element to that. I, I don't know. I I want to believe I'm all on board. I, I, uh, I love, I love hearing the stories. I love seeing the things. Um, so I'm a very much, uh, uh, uh yeah i'm all in i i i'm i'm there and i'm and like i said before like i'm the least reticent to try to poke holes in it because i just want to enjoy i just want to enjoy it like i want to like i love reading all this stuff in mainstream papers now about ufos and these real unidentified flying objects yeah it's coming to the forefront lately yeah you know i'm not not too woo woo but i you know i try and keep the the energy of of my house like in a a good spot and i'm like maybe i'm a little and i'm not and i'm not religious either but whenever i light like an incense i'll instead of just like i'll actually go through every room and kind of like i'll wave it in like a cross just to sort of sanctify the space you know just to and I don't know what that means to me, and you know, but uh, but at the same time, I I, I want to keep the energy of my house like flowing good because I don't know. I feel like I I have the type of personality or or the that that can that can bring strange, especially doing this podcast for fucking two years. You know, there's some strange things that have happened, so I don't want to bring any of that home. I'm very cognizant of that. Yeah. Are you ever going to share your? thing that happened to you about a year know, and a half I'm, ago i'm not I'm, i don't know I'll, 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 he's I was been sitting on that. a oh, really? on a personal yeah. paranormal story that i i'm just saying it's 100 episodes no yeah, no pressure right, i'm just right. gonna check in yeah no i'll uh i'll update you on that later i might you know um never yeah maybe not uh <laughs> has anything continued see, like, that's what i love about that is like it is a personal thing and i feel like there are these unexplained things and some of them get like locked away and some of them yeah. you forget about and they, they don't make sense. And uh, I almost feel like when you share them, you open it up. Like you, are you devaluing that thing? Is it sort of like, yeah. you know, is it, uh, are you breaking an, like a, a rule that you're supposed to be having with the spirit yeah. world? I've never seen a therapist in my life. I had to get a therapist after this so I could Whoa. like sort of unpack it a little bit, you know? Wait, can I just ask without asking about the moment how does the therapist because i'm at imagine there's a paranormal element to it yes so uh how does the therapist deal with that as an idea like are she trying to he's 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 open to it i mean because you know we were just trying to eliminate you know uh psychosis or schizophrenia or anything like like that so i haven't ruled it out (laughs) no but that's that's amazing because because you have to like yeah, right. I imagine that's like, what I wanted to. I was like, I'm here to make sure I'm okay, you know. Yeah, and but you know, what's been interesting is he's you know he's been like, yeah, yeah, you are, you know. I right. I don't you don't hold any of those symptoms or those. Yeah. So it's like it, it it sort of validates what I've experienced and and what do you think about people who like because the people who see a bunch of go like the like so I had my brother in law was a worked on a, a ghost hunting show right mm-hmm. that was his old thing his mo and he was you know and like they would just go to different places do the different things and and uh can you tell us which one i i would if i could remember okay. the name of it fair enough um and 
and he was he told me he had some really interesting experiences and the one that like again he did this all the time open to it but not like uh I will everywhere every day, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's right, sort of like, yeah. this is a gig, this is a job. I got to do this. And you know, like he's a producer on it. Like he's not the ghost hunter. He's just sort of like, okay, we're here's the hotel. You guys stay in in Massachusetts. I got the camera. Let's, yep. let's go. Um, he had done this thing where he went into this room and was pre- uh, prepping it to be taped, like, uh, you know, to do their segment the next day. So he goes in the room and he said, part of the thing was the room, um, had these old doors and you had to use like a uh, black uh, tape on it to block out the rays of light that were coming in. Cause I guess they were kind of even fudging when they were shooting. So it looked like it was night, even though it was, you know, so they do routine out the windows and they, um, and they do all the things. And he, so he do routine is like a big black cloth. So, uh, so he put that up over the windows and then he, on each door frame where, you know, the door meets the, I guess the other part of the jam, uh, he bl- uh, uses black tape on all of it goes out front uh and to get something from his truck comes back in all the tape and routine down wow five minutes like no one else is there the only person in this whole facility to tape this thing about and and he's like that's what he's like i he's like i ran out of there (laughs) i didn't see anything i didn't hear anything yeah he's like but that was like an hour of work that was down in five minutes wow and and that was supposed to be the haunted room. They were like, "No, we don't like this." Yeah, he was, and so that was, and that was his only. Again, a guy who produced a ghost hunting show, yeah. his only experience. But that was it, and that was just like it freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, wow. Why wouldn't it? My new favorite show is, uh, besides my own, is, uh, is Expedition it, Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. But finale it, this Sunday on Travel Channel. Yeah, don't miss it. Is uh, <laughs> Paranormal caught on camera on the Travel Channel? So it's like Ooh. America's funniest home videos, except for the paranormal. <laughs> Whoa! And every week you're like, I mean, the stuff you're seeing is just like, like it's it's so fucking great because you're like, it's it is what it says. It's the paranormal. A lot of camera. ants sitting down with a bowl no, of popcorn no. to watch a movie, and then the couch where, just suddenly. Did you see that one where the, the girl the is levitating next to that woman out in the forest, dude? What Bryce? <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying all of them are real, but Bryce uh, sent us this video <laughs> that was very cool. Yeah, of a little girl flying in the woods. She with wasn't her... flying; she was levitating. That was a difference. A hundred percent fake. How? How says you? It looks just like something from uh from what's the superhero movie that's like one of those uh, caught on camera like found footage super superhero films. Uh, yeah, with Michael B. Jordan. Yes, yes I know you're talking about the guy. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. It, one. it just looks like a special effects. <laughs> it was Skeptic. a. I don't know. We can put a link up and let people judge for themselves. <laughs> it was but great. I, loved I was it. like Bryce, but it's like that. The, who's that? Uh, that prophet out of the Bible that was uh that old parish priest that was supposedly able to levitate too. And, and there's a drawing of him. He, he was. It looked the same. Same as as he as he was levitating, just sort of floating about six feet in the air. So you're backing this video up with yes, guys. I just, yes. As you were talking to me, I'm realizing I had another paranormal experience, and I have audio proof of it. Let's yes. do it. Right. Yes. It's a hundredth episode. We'll make all, all the time. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> I'm going need. long on no. this. Um, I just have to scroll back to find. Go find uh, it while you're doing that, Riley. Did you see this video that Bryce sent? I didn't know. I missed it. Well, anyway, there's a lot of great. 
uh, unexplainable things on Paranormal Kata Camera. I'm I did see a commercial show. for that last night when I was watching your show in my hotel room. Yeah, there's some like, crazy oh, shit. Yeah, it's great. I love yeah. it. I absolutely That's love it. It's very fun. I did not believe that. So just a little background of the video. This guy's out with his dog. Well, because how can you explain? Because the dog, he's throwing this ball to his dog, and then his dog's playing with the ball, and then all of a sudden the dog kind of looks up, like startled. And the dog sort of like looks over to the left and then it starts to go over there. And as this guy sort of follows the dog with the camera, he sees this like older woman and this like young girl, maybe she's six or seven. They're and she's like just, in winter clothes, yeah, like yeah. puffy jackets. And she's just like floating off the ground right above the woman. And it's it's very witchy as if the woman yeah. was like, yeah. and then, I love it. And then and then he, he pulls the camera on her. And and they see him, and then and then she go she comes down, and then they run off. Yeah, that's the part. It just seemed too convenient. Yeah, yeah I guess I know what you're saying. It looks like a cool little mini horror yeah. film. I, I just yeah. I don't know. It, there's not enough there to be like. This, no, I know. This is so I just wild. said it because it was more kind of cool. But it was know. fun. <laughs> I get it, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't know if I buy that. Put it up in the show notes. And yeah, let, show notes. Let, the let me let me let me take a little note. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> take forget. <a> <laughs> Oh my gosh. But uh you know, as we were talking about paranormal activities, I'm like, I feel like I am in touch with it and and then seeing that video and thinking about EVPs, I remember I have a more recent crazy experience. And I think the reason why I don't equate it as being my experience was because I was on a tour, mm. a ghost tour, um, and I had it in a communal experience. And this is the EVP. I have it. Even better. Yeah, yeah so better, I have yeah. it here. Um, and I was actually in, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where I was in. I was um, in the same town from with that book, uh, In the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, okay. Was. Uh, that is, is that Savannah? Savannah, yeah, Georgia. Yeah, nice, yes. yeah. Good call. Illiterate, um, Michael. So um, <laughs> I saw the movie. <laughs> I believe, so what we did was, he believed this house was the most haunted house in the Strip. And... We had a crazy experience when we were walking around. One which was, we went up to this one house, we were telling the story about the ghost, and then the lights started to flicker in the house. It was completely empty. It was a church convent. There was no one inside of it. We went around to, like, up in the top floors, down floors, and it was, and flicker, 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 not like someone, like, not that someone was in there doing it. It was a very bizarre paranormal occurrence. Now, I can also say... Sure. Maybe this guy hired somebody and that's part of his stop. Standing, that's part of it. Sitting yeah. in the other room flicking us. hundred percent. And I'm always gonna be like, but this is the uh what he got when we went out in front of the haunted house. Um okay, and, and he says sometimes we get stuff, sometimes we don't. I went on uh his trip advisor page and people were bummed. They were like, I've gone on it, didn't get anything. Hmm. So it wasn't like this is like how he ends every tour. It was right. it felt very unique oh and i also have a ghost hunter that i like to travel around with in new orleans i have a bunch you have a lot you have perfect for this this is what happens on this show people come in i forget all right okay here all right so here we go just work just hold it i think it will just hold it up it'll be fine here and we play do you understand how you died Wow. I have. I'm not dead. I'm, I heard that. I'm not dead. <laughs> wow, that's creepy. 
So that's that's, that's, that, that's making that the hair stand up on my arms. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's uh, a creepy. Oh, and to be there in that <laughs> thing when he, yeah, we, he went back and he got really excited about it. And that sounds like a purgatory hell, like a spirit I'm saying, dead. "I'm not dead. I'm not dead." Oh man. I'm not Whoa! When did you discover you that? Arguing. Yes, you no, are bro, dead, dude. You're dead. No, you're um, dead. <laughs> he, Super dead. So basically, he would like we went around a few different spots and we're trying to get you know. So he would quickly like he'd have this like device and he would do it and then he would sit there for a couple minutes and then try to parse out EVPs and every time it was nothing, 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 and then we got that one. That's trip, man. Love it. Yeah, oh my was- gosh. That's an impressive one. Oh, really. shit. Yeah. Bringing the paranormal. The, yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to play a game yes. that we play with all of our guests. Okay. This is called Bullshit. Right. Or Believe It. All right. So I'm going to go down a list of phenomena, and you'll say, believe it if you're open to it, bullshit if you're not. Got it. All right. I'm, I just have to be open to it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And if you're less so than others, you know, Got it. just figure out all a way. Right. Those are your two lines. That's Got all it. you can say. All I can say. Paul Shear, on your mark. Get set. Ghosts. Believe it. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. Bullshit. Little gray aliens. Hmm. Believe it. Out-of-body experiences. Believe it. Demonic possession. Bullshit. The Bermuda Triangle. Bullshit. Alien abductions. Believe it. Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Time travel. Mm, believe it. Mothman. B- uh, bullshit. <laughs> Reincarnation. Uh, believe it. ESP. Believe it. Haunted houses. Believe it. The Illuminati. Uh, bullshit. There's a face on Mars. Bullshit. Skunk ape. Bullshit. <laughs> Heaven. Believe it. Hell. Mmm. Ah, bu- uh, bullshit. Sea serpents. Believe it. Poltergeists. Believe it. Chupacabra. Bullshit. Atlantis. Bullshit. Life on other planets. Believe it. Parallel dimensions. Believe it. The apocalypse. Believe it. Life after death. Uh, believe it. Okay, all right. Nice. That's well, that done. Was pretty, well done. Bryce, you're pretty, you got to be pretty happy with those I results. I am happy with that score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well done. <laughs> uh, Bigfoot. You know what? I, I think the thing with Bigfoot is uh, I believe that there is something, but I also believe that that could be like um, duped up like mm. that. Like I kind of believe that maybe like, I, you know, look, this is uh, obviously a tenant here. I mean, you know, I don't want to I would love to be informed more. Careful where you step. But I think that there is like that. um that like, I think there are unexplained creatures that we may or may not see. Like, I think there's an interesting thing with the Loch Ness monster. I don't know. Like, well, we. Have, I mean, I'll watch every one of those specials. I want to yeah. see it. I want to. I want to. I want to believe in it. But I also believe that there are people taking advantage of the system. Yeah, oh, with everything. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, and that that also throws a lot of people up because there are a lot of hucksters and hoaxers yes. out there, and that gets shit. And then people get confused where if you prove one of those things yes. was a hoax, and they go, "Well, no, they proved the Bigfoot was a hoax." Right, and that and that's kind of the thing that I. That's where I kind of believe I'm open to. The idea of a creature that is Bigfoot like, Yeti like, mm-hmm. uh, but that uh, I may or that I that we don't see. I feel like there are things that we have not seen that are on this planet that are big and that they have not been documented. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. 
I don't know if that one piece of footage of Bigfoot is that piece. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I have something here that I'd like to show you. All right, <laughs> this is a new addition to our collection. Whoa, this, wow. this actually uh, was given to me by my sister for right. Christmas. So thanks oh, to my shit. sister Sarah. Look at that. This is a Yeti cast. This is taken from the original Whoa. mold of the Shipton yeah, Yeti footprint right. wow. from the awesome. Himalayas in the 50s. That's really cool. And this is fascinating because we have a Bigfoot we have a Bigfoot plaster cast downstairs yeah. and this is much smaller. It yeah. is. Than, uh, and, and very wide. He's got fat feet. And by the way, I didn't mean to fat shame the Lord earlier. I apologize for that. <laughs> no, but it, um, but it was a comical image. Uh, Maybe it was a ghost Yeti sitting on the bed. That is, I know. That is Isn't that very cool? primate looking. Yeah, yeah, so now we've got Two cats in our oh, yeah, collection. So really thank you to, to the collection. Uh, Sarah the Eric that, that gift. You know, Yetis are supposedly supposed to be smaller than Bigfoots on average. You know, um, that's wild. They're kind of like orangutans. That's well, really cool. I was gonna say, I, I know that your audiences are already know it more more than mm-hmm. I do. But is there anything? Is there a quick thing you can give me to believe in Yeti or Bigfoot? Yeah. Bryce. Well, you know, just to give you an example, so that one video that you're probably talking about is yes. the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin fil- yes. film. And a lot of people, like what Michael said, there was one guy who went on a show called, like, uh, Truth or Hoax, I, I forget, and he took a he took a, a, a polygraph test, and he said, I was the guy in the suit. Right. That guy's name is Bob Hieronymus. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that there's two other people who claim to be the same guy in the suit. Um also, to, to disrepute, his uh, polygraph test can be uh, – he was on television, so, I mean, his, right. his, uh, you know, his, uh, his heart rate and pulse were up. Uh, the guy that also uh, saw it, filmed it, Roger Patterson, he also took a lie detector test yeah. before his death, and he passed that as well. So there's two people passing a polygraph test. Uh, vouching for what they say. Now that guy Bob Hieronymus, he's known yeah. in and throughout the community as sort of a uh, a liar and a huckster. Got it. Now at the time in 1967, that guy probably weighed 135 pounds. Right. You know, soaking wet. Um. So to say that he was that uh, that guy, you yeah. know, because he a lot of people see that video where he's like older, he's in his 60s, and he does the walk. You know, and uh-huh. they're like, oh, that's pretty close. It has to be him. So it's easy to misidentify and get caught up that, yeah, that's probably a guy in a suit, you know? But what's Bigfoot? What, what is, do you think? What is Bigfoot? Yeah, what do you think? I think Paul... Well, I'm just saying, like, like obviously, like, yeah, like, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think that, yeah. You know, man, I I don't know. Is it is it cryptozoological? In other words, is it an undiscovered uh, species of primate? Is it a relic hominid, uh, part of our ancestral tree that's still roaming around, uh, managing to avoid all human contact except on various occasions? Um, or is it more? Does it does it serve in the more in the world of the of the paranormal? Like even the Loch Ness, we've been talking about. Uh, was that was that a summoned creature, a summoned Ooh. thing? Is it? Like, uh, is you know, whole, Alistair, yeah. Crowley. Alistair Crowley was doing some yeah. black magic, doing some black magic rituals right around right the, around the time it started to and appear. Then after that, then the sighting started to appear. Now the natives believed that Bigfoot could take one step into the spirit world and one step into the physical world. So, but they believed it was definitely a physical creature, but it had you know into a parallel universe. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, so I've been working right. on a show called Expedition Bigfoot. We were we were 
we sequestered ourselves in central Oregon for three weeks uh, using an algorithm that told us this is the most likely place and the most likely time you are to run across Bigfoot. And and we find some physical evidence, but we're also confronted with some things that don't make sense. For instance, one of the best things we got was this thermal image of this creature um, walking across, and it's and it's huge. We did a side-by-side comparison of, uh, of one of our guys. And I mean, it's almost double the size. This is a thermal image and it's just red hot. And you could see sort of arms swinging and, and then it just sort of turns this, it turns away and it just sort of dissipates. It disappears completely. Ooh. Now I was out in that field. There's nothing there, right? I mean, there's a tree line, but uh, where this thing disappeared, there's no rock to hide behind, no tree to hide behind. I like this idea that he can go in between parallel universes. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm yeah gonna... absolutely. Or, 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 or perhaps has some sort of, yeah, I know capability to uh, to cloak itself. Uh, oh, maybe wow. that's rooted Cloaking. in science, or maybe. But I'm I'm with you. I'm starting to think that there's, you know, there's something paranormal happening here. This is why we don't have a body on the table yet. It still it still resides in the physical world, and it leaves physical evidence like footprints, hair, uh, nest. People are able to capture it on video and photograph. Yeah. You know? but, what do you uh, think is the most um, best or the the best documented uh, Bigfoot sighting. Well, I think it's that 67 okay. Patterson Gimlin, Gimlin footage. Yeah. I mean, you could see the musculature just like rippling out of the, yeah, yeah. Uh, out of the calves and the thighs and the buttocks muscles. Yeah. You know, they've interviewed guys that made suits for the planet of the apes, Hollywood, uh, which was later. Yeah. Which yeah. was later on. And they said, you know, we, we couldn't make that suit today. So they're convinced that that's a real creature. Wow. And, uh, I was reading a book about it recently. The, that's so funny. Cause I've written off that film just mm. because of all the, of all the talk around it. You that's know, where I they was actually, actually when this started and he, yeah. he brought me around. That's only one yeah. piece of that evidence it, within that context of that video. The two guys that shot it, they went back and they plaster cast the footprints. So not only did they capture it on video, wow. but they were able to take a plaster casting of the trackway. Yeah, and, and then it and then it rained. Yeah, and, and then, the creek washed it all out. So yeah, they, they were okay. got, like they were just there at the right time, got some but tracks. They, they, wow. they fortunately just got it. Yeah, they, they went back and it was raining and, and uh, it was Bob Gimlin who was like, we need to go. Uh, it's going to rain tonight. We need to go plaster cast those tracks. Now he they had their horse. They had their horse because they they brought in two horses as well. Yeah. That's they were on horseback, and they had the horses make uh, impressions onto the wet sandbar, and the horses which weigh about you know four hundred five hundred pounds, uh, probably less. But they weren't even able to make the the deep imprint that that wow. Sasquatch thing did. Uh, Bob Gimlin said, and I've talked to Bob Gimlin face to face, and uh, he said he would jump off a log in his cowboy boots and try and make as deep of yeah. an impression as they could. They said he it said, was about, it would take seven or 800 pounds of pressure to get that Whoa, type of footprint. All right, which now is, I'm on board. All right. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> and, and in this book that I was reading, they talk about, because you can see like musculature underneath the skin in this video, especially now that they've been able to stabilize yeah. it with modern yeah, technology. Yeah. See, that's what I need to see. Biologists at the time that disagreed with it said, well, the thing that's wrong with this video is that it's a female, but it walks like a male. Mm-hmm. And they also said this primate has a butt, which basically, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of see the glutes. Yeah. And he's like, which, and they they argue, which primates don't really have. But my argument is, well, Not may, a primate. it's something maybe right. in between the two. Wow. Right, right, right. That kind of defies some of the 
biological laws yeah. based on specimens that we have. So I, I don't know. There is, there's always going to be mystery around this you video know, that, and people who the, see both sides of it. But that's really the one piece of footage that that got me really like really into this whole thing. And it wasn't even the musculature or the context surrounding the video. It's when that creature looks back at the at the 16 millimeter camera and you can see that face and there's like you can almost peer through the eyes i remember watching that on in search of with leonard nimoy and they you know they were doing a re-examination of the footage and something just rippled through my gut saying that's not supposed to be there yeah i just i just felt a guttural instinct that that is a creature that they got very lucky to capture and that's still today even with everybody with cell phones stands as probably the best photographic evidence well wow. it's, it's amazing when someone can capture a creature but what happens when the creature captures you yeah well we're going to talk about that on our story of high strangeness right after the break let's do it and we're back and it's time for our 100th a uh, story of high strangeness, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, now, this is a story that I've wanted to do ever since we started the show. It's a biggie. We've been saving it for a special occasion. We hope we do it justice. And again, this is a big story. There's a lot written about it, and there's no way that we can uh, shove it all into one uh, episode. No, we're going to compress as much as we can. But. And kind of give you the nutshell, and then maybe uh, we'll go over to the Patreon at some point and do a little bit of a deeper dive. But uh, this uh, is a story uh, that uh, really is a classic UFO tale. And Paul, I'm Ooh. happy that you're here for this. Um, here we go. Oh, and by the way, Bryce and I, for the first time ever, are going to split this uh, up. Yeah, we split the workload up story, on this one. So here okay. we go. Over the course of the night of September 19th and the early morning of September 20th, 1961, a New England couple would share a mysterious experience that would not only haunt them for for years, but would go down in ufology as the first modern alien abduction experience, perhaps the most notable so-called alien encounter of all time. This is the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. Are you familiar with this couple's no, name? Oh, this is yeah. great. All right. So the sources for this, uh, my main source was a book called Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, the true story of the world's first documented alien abduction by Stanton Friedman, who is a nuclear physicist and a famous ufologist, and Kathleen Martin, who is, um, she's actually Betty's niece, Betty's uh her mother was Betty's sister and one of the first people to hear this story. So Kathleen grew up in this household hearing this story. I mean, this was the story that really kicked off uh, the abduction phenomenon. Before this, you, had, you hadn't heard about it. Okay. So on September 19th, Betty, a social worker, and her husband, Barney, a postal worker, and their dachshund, Delcy, were driving a 1957 Chevy Valier, 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 through the backcountry highways of New Hampshire on their way home from a weekend getaway to Montreal and Niagara Falls. The forecast was calling for a stormy weather system on the 20th, so instead of staying the night in a motel, Barney and Betty decided to drive straight home and expected it expected to make it back home to Portsmouth by 2 a.m. Sidebar. 
Barney and Betty, and this is a, I bring this up as a cultural note, were an interracial couple. Mm -hmm. She was white, he was black. And one of the other reasons that they decided, maybe we'll just skip a motel and go straight home, is every now and then they were worried about going into a place of business and being rejected. Now, Barney said, you know, I've had a pretty good life and I don't encounter a, a lot of racism, but... They sometimes you never knew what situation you're going to get into, especially that that during those times and in rural areas, even, you know, on the East Coast as well. And not only that, just, to, you know, more than just a postman, he was a civil rights advocate. He won an NAACP award and was invited to the inauguration of Lyndon Johnson. So these guys were sort of pillars of their community. Right. Yeah. Not just uh, the typical like, I saw a UFO, yeah. you know. And Barney, it I'll, I'd like to note, was also not a believer in this stuff. Didn't mm-hmm. believe in flying saucers. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a big paranormal guy. Very practical, very smart guy. So um, anyway, Barney was driving. And around 10.30 or 11 p.m., Betty looked out her window uh, and saw what she thought looked like a shooting star moving upward and then stopping to the left of the moon. She stared at this bright object, wondering what it was, and pointing it out to her husband, who was trying to not get lost on the late-night drive home. They eventually pulled over to let Delcy, their dog, out, all the while keeping an eye on this strange light in the sky, which Betty had been continuing to observe during their drive. So at this point, they're outside their car. They take turns looking at this object through a pair of binoculars. Barney was getting annoyed with Betty getting excited over this strange light and figured it was just a plane or the Air Force practicing a drill. But as he peered at this object through the binoculars, he could see it moving erratically through the air. They said it did sort of stepping stone movements. Barney would describe it as sort of uh, when you had a ball on a paddle, how it would shoot back and forth across the sky. And he started to go, I don't think this is an airplane. So they get back in the car. And for the next 30 minutes, they keep watching the strange light as it seems to follow them, follow alongside their car, trying to figure out what it was. Finally, they pull over near the Indian Head Cliff Face, which is a famous landmark that's since uh, crumbled, near Lincoln, along the White Mountain Range. Barney pulls over to a spot with a clearer view to observe the craft. Before getting out of the car, he grabs his pistol from under his seat and puts it in his pocket. Now, the object had swung out ahead of their car and was now about 1,000 feet away and 100 feet in the air, more or less. Barney, as he looked through the binoculars, could see that the object was maybe 80 feet long, it was saucer-shaped, and there was a double row of lights in the center of the object, which he realized weren't actual lights, but windows. And the strange thing is that this craft is making no noise. This is when Barney starts to get a little nervous. And as he's peering at this craft, it tilts downwards and starts to slowly approach. And through the binoculars, Barney can see 8 to 11 individuals walking around the interior of this craft. He said that they were dressed, they were short, shorter than a human figure and dressed in sort of shiny black uniforms with caps on their heads, like little military caps. And the thing that kind of is really freaked me out and freaked Barney out is he said they moved around in this sort of precision that reminded him of Nazi soldiers. And one of them, who he sort of called the leader, was fiddling with a panel, looked over his shoulder and made eye contact with Barney. 
And almost through a telepathic message, Barney started to receive a message of, Stay there. Keep looking. Keep looking at us. Stay there. And he could see this entity smile at him. And he's standing there looking at this bed. He's asking, what do you see? What is it? What's going on? And the craft starts to approach. Barney snaps out of what is a trance and he runs back to the car. Oh, and I should note that as the craft was approaching, he could see two little wings appear out of the sides of the craft that were tipped with red lights on them. They described them as like bat wings. Yes, shark fins almost. And he was like, this is this is nothing. I have never seen anything like this in my life. He runs back to the car and screams to Betty, we got to go. This, they are going to capture us. So they get back in the car. Barney starts speeding down Route 3. And as Betty's looking for where the ship is in the sky, she rolls down the window and looks up. And she can tell that the entire night sky has been blacked out. This craft is flying quietly, tracing them right above their car. So they start to hear weird buzzing and beeping sounds. The car begins to vibrate. And as they drive another 14, 15 miles down the road, they start to lose consciousness. At one point, Barney makes an erratic left, sudden left turn off Route 3 over a railroad track bridge and then pulls off and stops into the middle of the road near the woods where they see a glowing orange orb blocking the road. Betty would later describe it as looking like a bright orange moon sitting in the middle of the road. The last thing she remembers is Barney going, oh no, it's happening again. And then they fade out. When they come to, it's about, I believe, 30 or so miles down the road. They're driving, and they're coming to, and they're, the object is gone. They're back on their way home, and they kind of can't remember the past, you know, what feels like a few minutes. When they get home to their house, they discover that it's 5 a.m., almost arriving almost two to three hours later than they projected they predicted now they had made uh, so many stops along the way that they were probably delaying themselves by 30 or 45 minutes but they should have been home by 3 a.m at the latest it's now dawn they get out of the car dazed confused uh barney feels filthy he says that he, he he wanted to take a shower and he just wanted to like clean up and bathe and you say he felt unclean yeah he felt unclean his shoes had weird scraping uh marks on the tips of the toes as if he had been dragged against his will through the brush betty's dress was torn both of their watches had stopped and they were fiddling with them trying to reset them and they weren't working anymore and they realized we, they'd missed almost two hours and couldn't explain it. So over the next couple of days, they try to figure out what was going on. Um, they had agreed to not talk about this, but then Betty called her sister, Janet, and sat her down on the phone and described what they'd seen, this craft. They remembered the craft. They remember seeing this stuff, this thing. And uh, she had, her sister had a sheriff in the house when she called she told her to get in touch with the uh, local air force base and somebody came out interviewed betty about and barney about it and he the air force decided i don't know i think you guys saw jupiter 
yeah, you know, because wow. you saw a bright object in the sky. The brightest thing in that in, in the sky that night was Jupiter. Barney's starting to forget it and almost willingly let let it go and didn't want to talk about it. But Betty, it really stuck in Betty's craw. And then one of the other things they found uh, shortly after their trip that their uh, the trunk of their car had all of these almost silver dollar sized like not holes but impressions sort of circles uh, on the back of the truck that when they placed a compass on the compass needle would spin around erratically couldn't explain some weird magnetic effect on the back of their car so that might have been it but uh betty couldn't let this go and over the course so this happens in 1961 and then over the course of the next few years she gets a hold of nicap which is sort of the um the, it's the National Institute for what does the NICAP stand for, Bryce? Uh, the National Institute of uh, basic, Anomalous Phenomena. Yeah, so basically, it's <laughs> where you would go to report UFO sightings at the time. She started speaking at UFO conferences and clubs about this close encounter that they had with this craft. And in the meantime, she starts having nightmares about what happened during the missing time. And Barney seems to be acting as if he's having some PTSD in his own life and doesn't want to talk about what was going on. Eventually, some a connection through Nightcap got them in touch with a uh, hypnotherapist and therapist, a psychiatrist named Dr. Benjamin Simon. Well, and before we get there, you know, the actually two members of Nightcap, uh, guys by the name of C.D. Jackson and Robert Holman, uh, they recommend one of their NICAP scientific advisors. His name is Walter Webb. And uh, he was a fellow at the Hayden Planetarium in Boston. So a real academic, you know. And he meets with the Hills on October 21st. And he's pretty skeptical about the whole thing. And he thought he was going to wrap this up over a, over a quick lunch break. Uh, however, it was not the case. He was frankly blown away by their bizarre tale. And he goes on to be quoted... Uh, so amazed, so impressed by both the Hills and their account that we skipped lunch and went right through the afternoon and early evening. I cross-examined them together, separately, together, re-questioned them again and again. I tried to make them slip up somewhere, and I couldn't. Theirs was an ironclad story. They seemed to me to be sincere, honest couple driving home from vacation late at night on a lonely road when suddenly something completely unknown and undefinable descended on them, something entirely foreign or alien to their existence." So, I mean, he was kind of blown away by these guys. And he I was think not was... expecting, uh, you know, to be talking to Betty and Barney Hill, these like really upstanding citizens. Yeah. So eventually, and I believe it was Webb or somebody else got them in touch with this doctor. And mm-hmm. Barney finally agreed, look, uh, if we see a therapist, I'll talk about this stuff. But, you know, he was very unwilling to really un- unpack it all. Now, I-, I will say, and before we get into what their hypnosis sessions revealed mm-hmm. uh this wasn't like they walked into one session and the guy like hypnotized them and suddenly they're talking about an alien abduction he was working with them for months talking about other stuff other things kind of working through the stress and everything before they really got into a series of sessions well let's just where just to explain Benny a little bit about who benjamin simon is this guy is a boston psychiatrist neurologist, a true expert in hypnosis. He was the chief of neuropsychiatry and executive officer at Mason General Hospital's Army's Chief Psychiatric Center during World War II. So this guy's a big fucking deal in neurobiology. And uh, 
And listen, you know, the hypnosis that you see on magic stages where they get up and they hypnotize a guy and act him, tell him to act like a rooster is completely different than regression therapy. <laughs> have you ever been um, hypnotized? Paul? No, I have not. But I but I have seen both of those things. Yeah. So some of the tales of uh, 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 regression therapy of people been able to recount robberies and be, being able to uh, see a car go by and name the license plate on that so much so that it can help solve cases. He, his specialty was really also helping like soldiers work through what they called shell shock at the time. Right. People who, veterans of World War II and Korean War and really kind of helping them unpack things and yeah. traumatic memories that they had repressed. Well, so and it was his idea to sort of uh, regress these two individually and separately. And at the end of their regression session, he would say, now you'll forget what we talked about, you know, so they wouldn't bring it home and and contaminate each right, other's yeah. stories, right? He did this very methodically. And, uh, you so know... So what did Betty and Barney... What happened to them during those two hours? Well, that's that, well, that's great. I think... I, think uh, I was wondering if we should play that audio right now. I have just a little bit of Barney Hill's uh, audio from his actual uh, hypnotic regression session with Dr. Benjamin Simon. know this this creature this leader is telling me something he's telling you something how how is he getting it to you I can see it in his face what did he tell you stay there and keep looking just keep looking and stay there. And just keep looking. Just keep looking. Could you hear it? Oh, I got to pull these binoculars away from my eyes. Because if I don't, I'll just keep staying there. Could you hear him tell you this? Oh, no. He didn't say it. You felt he said it. Right? I know. Just stay there. He's saying to me. to get away Betty we've got to get away wow. so that's that's I mean that's just how intense these sessions were and there were six months of them uh, you know both of Betty and Barney's regression sessions are complete and they're available on YouTube we'll put them in the show notes so they would go on to describe that uh they went up a ramp up into the craft. Now, that's when they see about uh, three men, uh, three of these beings in what he described as an operating room. Now, Barney said he was laid down on a table. His shoes were taken off and a cup of sorts is placed over his genitals. Uh, he would believe later on that uh, semen was extracted and that someone scraped his left arm, examined his ears, throat. A cylindrical device was placed up his rectum. <laughs> Can't, you know, 
Sorry. Uh, so <laughs> this, this is the origin of the this anal probe. Yeah, this yeah. is the origin of the anal Guys, probe. It all started somewhere. It all somewhere. starts here. Someone counted his vertebrae, and Betty would recount... Uh, oh, they well, removed his dentures, too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So they removed his dentures, and they were fascinated that, that they could take his teeth out. Now, in one of Betty's sessions, she, she recalls them coming over and trying to grab at her teeth, and uh, they were very uh, con- sort of confused why her teeth didn't come out. And Betty seemed to, like, hang with them a little bit better, and Betty- she's like, oh, he has fake teeth. My teeth are real. And they're like, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, she shows, So Betty was more along. She wasn't more terrified as Barney. She was like, okay, I'm, you know, um, I'll go through this experience. And... Uh, Anyway, so she recounts uh, what very closely resembled her dreams. You know, one different being, uh, the alien had no hair, um, whereas in her dreams they did. But Yeah, and the dreams that she was having, she described them almost looking like Jimmy Durante. They were oh, like, wow. they were small, gray with kind of bluish lips, but they had like these Jimmy Durante noses, she described. And this, this is stuff that was coming up in her dreams long before the regression sessions. And then once she was kind of reliving in in therapy reliving these moments they took a form that was more the traditional alien gray that we think of today with the big slanted black yeah. eyes narrow featureless kind of faces yeah and you know so humanoid she, she got the uh, entire medical go over as well she would describe uh taking pieces of their hair uh scraping parts of her skin but it was when they pulled out this machine with a big, large needle and inserted it into her navel that things got a little more terrifying for her. And they told her it was some sort of a pregnancy uh, device. Now, you know, when you tell when you tell me you start, they're counting vertebrae and they bring out this large needle. This reminds me of the old shamanic initiation sort of rituals that these shamans and indigenous tribes would go through. They would describe the same sort of things. So there's a weird parallel there um and they when they inserted the needle in her navel it started to hurt she said one of the entities waved uh his hands over her eyes and all the pain went away yeah so now she's up from this sort of procedure and she's kind of you know getting her whereabouts and and uh she asks you know well where are you from and they don't think uh they can explain it to her so one of the beings goes over to the wall and pulls down a map Right, like on like on a third grader school board. Yeah, she said a, a map descended with like blue lights with like different stars and lines. It's almost like in Force Awakens when they're looking at the yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, uh, Skywalker, the map to Skywalker yeah. kind of looks like this, like a star map comes down from the ceiling. Yeah, and you know, so Betty recalls going, "Huh, okay," and then she goes, "Well, I want something to remember this experience." And she looks over, and there's this sort of luminous book with strange vertical hieroglyphics on it. And she's like, what is that book? And, and then the leader said, well, you could take it with you if you'd like to have proof of this. And she goes, oh, that's when another one of that's the beings came over and says, no, we can't give her yeah, the book. You can't take this. You can't oh, wow. take, <laughs> I'm sorry, you cannot take yeah. that. <laughs> and uh, and so that's when they decided that they're going to erase her memories. And they, they actually tell her that. She's like, you're going to forget all this. And it was Betty who goes, I will remember. And she made a point to have a will to remember this situation. And what the leader character was like, listen, uh, you don't want to remember. It's better that you don't. Trust us. It's better that you don't remember. And even if you do, Barney won't ever remember this. You know. 
And it's almost like a threat. It was very weird. Well, and it's what we know today as these, you know, sort of curtained memories that so many of the abduction experiencers recall. They can't have access to these entire memories. Uh, it's only when they're usually put under a regression session that some of these memories become more open to them. Now, on a little side note about that star note, there was a school teacher. Her name was Marjorie Fish, mm-hmm. and she was an amateur astronomer. And she made it her life's work to figure out where in the universe this star map was. So she started creating all these. She looked at the star map. Betty had <clears throat> redrawn the yeah, star Betty, map. Yeah, Betty, in one of her regression right. sessions, had redrawn yep. this star yep. map. Yeah. And Marjorie Fish, uh, working on this project in minute detail for approximately five years, finally came to the conclusion uh, that this was Zeta Reticuli and Zeta Reticuli 2, which mm-hmm. is now infamous in alien abduction culture. I don't know if you're familiar, but I think even Bob Lazar uh, from the famed Area 51 reverse uh, en- engineering fiasco or sort of story says that that's where he believed the aliens were from But it's fascinating well. because when Betty drew this map in her hypnotic session regression sessions she uh she had stars on that map that had not yet been identified uh-huh. by NASA and it was only until it was some of the stars weren't there and the puzzle couldn't be complete until they discovered some of these stars in like 1967 like two years later so she had basically drawn a star map that scientists had not yet discovered now just to show you and a couple of their drawings consistent. that they uh, they actually drew this is the one that Barney drew in his session and you could see the little cap there yeah 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 uh, it's a little grinch like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know they had a painter friend sort of paint this more they, they described right. it later and they said this is ex- almost exactly wow. like what we were looking at and somebody created a sculptured uh head of it yeah Betty used to like to carry it around to her ufo conventions and and show people that now at the end of the six month sessions dr simon allows them to recall their memories however he was convinced that they had not been abducted because well he just didn't believe in aliens or ufos and nor did he want to acquaint himself with any of the literature on the subject uh but it was betty's initial dreams that inspired barney's account and that perhaps, he, oh, he said it was Betty's initial dreams that inspired, you know, Barney's account. And perhaps they experienced a strange psychical disorder called Foulet à deux, uh, meaning shared madness or madness for two uh, in French. Now that's, <laughs> I'll have uh, madness uh, for yeah, two. Yeah. Madness. yeah. <laughs> now that's, uh, that's a condition where an otherwise sane person develops the symptoms and delusions of a person suffering from psychosis. And they both start, they take on those same delusions, which is ridiculous if one thinks about it um you know afterwards simon wrote an article about the hills for the journal of psychiatric opinion explaining his conclusions that the case was a singular psychological aberration unfortunately for him the abduction phenomena was not going away easily and it was just really kicking off now the hills obviously rejected what dr simon concluded going so far as to say uh, God, they wished it was just an illusion or this psychical disorder because uh, this followed them for the remainder of their life. I mean, they were they were literally traumatized by this. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting that Dr. Simon could never really explain the cause of Barney's trauma that came about on the evening in question, nor does it explain the physical evidence left behind in the case. Now, debunkers and skeptics, they took their cues from Dr. Simon and the Air Force adopted the laughable explanation of what Michael said, that it was 
just Jupiter, uh, which is always which is about as funny as Swamp Gas to me. Now, and they had also it was it's important worth noting that they grew up or they lived near an Air Force base and saw planes all the time, right, flying yeah. around all the time. They were like, this is not a conventional aircraft. Yeah, and you know, just to re- recount again, these are two individuals who were not crazy. They're not attention seekers looking for publicity. These were two individuals who experienced something profound. In fact, they didn't even want the story to get out until it was leaked to a Boston newspaper that ran a five-day, uh, like, uh, every day they, they wrote another story about this whole thing. And they were like, well, they got a lot of facts wrong here, too, and it was very sensationalized, and they kind of played up the interracial aspect, and they were like, all right, I guess now we have to kind of talk about it. Yeah, and they there was were really a, coerced and forced. There into, was a book written called The Interrupted Journey, and then a TV movie was made of it with James Earl Jones playing oh, wow. Barney. Yeah, That's right. Wow. So it's sad. Uh, I mean... This really kind of hijacked their life, and sadly, Barney passed away from a, uh, an aneurysm in 1969, and some people think that the uh, stress, including Kathleen Martin in this book, she thinks that that stress really built up and may have... Uh, he had to take six months off of the Postal Service. He was completely uh, traumatized, post-traumatic stress yeah. syndrome, wow. so much so that it, it, it created a downward spiral for his health. Uh, Bar- Betty did actually make it into the 21st century. And, uh, she died in 2004. She uh, did. And, uh, you know, in 2011, the state of New Hampshire erected a historical marker to actually commemorate Betty and Barney's Hill UFO experience. So yeah, so that's the uh, that is the story. I want to just end it with this little paragraph from the book. Uh, this is Kathleen writing about her aunt Betty. She said Betty lived her life by a lesson conveyed to her by a grade school teacher. She said that each of us is like a speck of sand on a beach. Some are born closer to the water's edge, and others are born on the upper side of the beach, farther away from the tide. When each high with each high tide, grains of sand are swept away into the ocean. Those at the water's edge are sometimes carried to the top, and those at the those on the upper side of the beach are sometimes swept into the current by winds and storms. However, some of these grains of sand, whether carried by the tide or originating on the upper beach, escape being swept into the turbulent sea. It is those who go down in history. If Betty could have had her wish, she would have gone down in history as a groundbreaking social worker and a social and political activist. It was never her wish to go down in history as a UFO abductee. However, she was carried among those grains of sand that rose to the top, and unintentionally, she met her fate. There you go. That's the story of Betty and Barney Hill. Wow. What do you think? I mean, I 100% buy it. I'm all in. I mean, the one thing yes, I had a question about was, what did he say? He said, not again, when they were first getting... Yeah. Yeah, so that they was pulled over the road weird. a few times, right? Yeah. So d- during their drive back home, I think there was a total of three times where they would pull over the road, uh, okay. watch this thing sort of move about, go into the front of the road, and then lift off again. And then they would get back in their uh, car. And okay. then it was when they were pulling over and they saw that orb that he went, oh, no, it's happening again. And then and then in the regression session, that they said six of the entities came out. Three went to his side of the car and three went to her side of the car. They left the dog in the they car, They left the dog, the Adele, poor Del was when they got mm. back in the car they found her curled up in a tight little ball in the back seat and she was okay but she did they did say in the two weeks following the incident she got this really weird fungal infection that was treatable but they were like 
this is just kind of yeah, weird yeah, yeah. that she had some weird side effects. Um, well, because possibly. The, do we think that the magnetism that the car experiences is because of the ship too? Yeah, and yeah. they think that maybe the beeping and buzzing stuff was the thing that was subduing them into sort of this trance-like yeah. hypnotic state. It's very, very weird, and we call this stuff high strangeness because there's so many weird aspects. One of the things that we didn't talk about, which I found fascinating, is about a week or two after the incident, and this is, you know, again, long before they unpacked what it was hap- had happened to them in that missing time, they came home and they found a pile of leaves on their kitchen table. And they at first were like, what the hell? How-? First of all, somebody broke into her house and they dumped leaves on her kitchen table. And as they were cleaning up the leaves, Betty found the pair of earrings that she had been wearing that night in the pile of leaves that she had forgotten and hadn't realized that were even missing. So that is a fucking crazy detail. Yeah. And there are little touches like this that almost feel paranormal in this whole thing. And uh, I think at some point we're going to go over this month and do a little bit more about Betty and Barney Hill on the Patreon and some of the more paranormal aspects of this. But well, there's just weird stuff in this story. A little sample about that. So in Barney's life, he he was really immune to sort of any paranormal experience. He had a relatively normal life. However... Betty, from the age of a young child, she recounted these precognitive dreams in which she had visual dreams of her friends. It happened to her three times getting killed in a car accident. And those three people did, in fact, die just how she envisioned their dreams. So, you know, there's a book written by uh, a psychiatric, uh, a guy named Dr. Berthold Eric Schwartz, who wrote a book called UFO Dynamics, Psychiatric and Psychic Aspects of the UFO Syndrome. And in that book, he tries to see if there's any relation to these people who have sort of these psychical uh, aspects to their lives or precognitive abilities that if these UFOs are somehow attracted to these types of people you know well i was gonna say uh now that you bring that up that's something that i experience a lot that precognitive dream i have really i have have these moments that are and people always are very quick to say well no what you probably are doing you know certain details and you're just kind of filling it in for the future but i will see not deaths yeah like but i can see uh it's stronger than deja vu because i remember the dream when i have it and then i will experience it in the moment can you think of a specific thing it's always very um like uh benign like to a certain Mm -hmm. extent like there's nothing groundbreaking about it like being in a place with my family or with a friend having that conversation that is like it's more intense than again it's not like deja vu like that sounds familiar it's like no no i but I'm. I've. Well, it's almost this, yeah. like in that dreams wow. in that dream state, it, it houses a sort of different rules of time. You yeah. know, making time not linear, but you're able to access information that's that's uh, that that is going to affect you, or so that you pick up on these sort of uh, you you you're become a receivership of these messages. Yeah. Hers were so visceral. As a matter of fact, her best friend Linda, she had this dream. She called Linda told her about it she told her parents about it and she's like do not get in your car do not drive anywhere she was so freaked out uh it was her friend's 16th birthday and her parents were like hey can you help us get uh linda out of the house we want to surprise her and she's like no i can't and then you know 
So they sent her for a quart of milk, and that's when she gets hit by a, oh, a truck wow. exactly as she saw it. That was one of oh. three times that Betty experienced that. And she would go on to experience paranormal activity in her house with her children, so much so that they named the ghost. Uh, they named it Harry. So this is a lady who is no stranger to the paranormal, mm. and it all sort of culminated in, in this abduction phenomena. Now, before this abduction phenomena took place, there was really what was known as the contactee experience, mm -hmm. where as opposed to being taken away in a ship, entities would land their UFO and communicate through mind speak or regular English, and they would just communicate with their... Right. And this became known as the contactee experience. So the abduction phenomena seemed to take this to a new level, and that's when the contactee experience sort of ended, and this new, uh, this new level was sort of ushered in as now being taken aboard a craft and being examined and... Yeah, Very strange and weird shit. Well, that's great. Well, I just uh, want to say one more quick thing. Yeah. You know, to learn more about the abduction phenomena, please check the Bigfoot Collectors Club episode number sixteen with special guest Maria Thayer, where we talk about the legendary Harvard psychologist John E. Mack, who made it his life work to explore the abduction phenomenon. Being quoted, the abduction phenomenon forces us, if we permit ourselves to take it seriously, to re-examine our perception of human identity, to look at who we are. From a cosmic perspective. Great. Awesome. Any final it. thoughts, Paul? No, I mean, I think that you just, it's undeniable that the uh, the regressions are just amazing. Wow. Yeah. They, yeah that I, audio is intense. Yeah, yeah that's only yeah. just two minutes. There's about 60 minutes going of, of Betty's and Barney's. We'll put that in the show notes. All they're, right. They're well, creepy. we got to wrap up this mega episode of Thank you Bigfoot for having Collectors me. Club. Thanks for having me. Do you mind? Can you stick around for like five more minutes? And, sure. And we're going to do something on the Patreon. Yeah. We'll throw it up over there Absolutely. as a little bonus for today's episode for our, our listeners. That'd be great. Great. I want to thank Paul Shear for being here. Uh, where can people find you? They can find me anywhere on social media. Paul Shear. That's pretty much it. Right. Just yeah. You got Check it. out how did this get made and unspooled. Of course. Uh, Riley Bray. Anything? Nah. All right. Cool. Uh, Bryce. <laughs> the big finale for uh, Expedition Bigfoot is yeah. this Sunday night. When will this come out? This, this comes, comes out, out this Wednesday. Well, yeah, Wednesday. A couple Great. Days. Our final episode number eight uh, comes out this Sunday night. Ten nine Central Travel Channel. Be there. Great. Oh, watch that. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh you can find me McMills on everything. Uh again, want to thank Paul Shear, want to thank all of our listeners. Please rate, review us and spread word about uh the show. We really appreciate it. Check out our merch over at uh Campfire Media's T Public page. And until next time, I remain Michael McMillan for Bryce Johnson and uh Riley Bray. Uh good night. And go get regressed. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. 
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. <laughs> 